It's January 2015, Episode 1, Forking Drupal. Welcome to Hacking Culture, featuring in-depth interviews with free software advocates. Hacking Culture is brought to you by Lullabot, and I'm your host, Matthew Tift. Drupal is one of the most popular open source content management systems in the world, powering millions of websites and applications. It started in 1999, and today the community consists of more than 1 million users and developers. So when a fork of Drupal was announced in September 2013, it caught a lot of people's attention. For today's show, I'm joined by Nate Hogg, technical lead from this Drupal fork called Backdrop. How are you doing today, Nate? Hey, I'm doing great, Matthew. Excellent. Well, I think we should start off with a couple of disclaimers, because Nate is a friend of mine, and we both work at Lullabot, and we're talking about a topic today that for some people is somewhat sensitive. So I just wanted to start off by being totally honest about that. I have listened to multiple other podcasts, and I've read other blog posts and news stories where Nate talks about Backdrop. And one of those podcasts is the Drupalize Me episode from September 2013, and that provides some great background about Backdrop, and I definitely recommend checking out that episode as well if you want more information. So to some extent, I have formulated my questions in a way that supplements some of the other articles I've read and shows I've heard and even various uh, live presentations that I've seen Nate give. Also, I should mention this show is primarily not about Drupal. It's about open source and free software advocates. So with that background out of the way, my first question for you is, how did you get involved in open source and free software development? <laughs> yeah, I think everybody's got a good story um, for, for getting involved in open source. And mine was mine was back when I was in college. It was actually the first time... I'd actually really started uh, interacting with other software projects um, and in specifically in the world of, of PHP, which was a little bit odd because I had um, a couple years of college training under my belt already, even by the time that I, I really started actively engaging with other communities online. Um, and even my college education didn't even cover the language that I primarily was interested in, which which was PHP. I was I was formally trained in you know, Java and C, and um, we did all of our, our introductory classes in Ada 95, actually, which which was an odd choice even back then. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> it's primarily used for, for Air Force, uh, like, military applications. Like, it's what uh, guided missiles and things like that are programmed in, which <laughs> uh, I don't know why why that of all languages. But um but when I started um, doing PHP work, I found that there were a lot more people um, available online that were passionate about um, about working with web technologies than than there were actually at my school. So I started interacting a lot with with those kinds of people, and most people in Drupal have have the same kind of history that they started out at a time where PHP projects were um, all kind of standalone, single-purpose things, and after trying to tie enough of these 
applications together, um, you realize there has to be a better way, something that can unify all of these different things like the form software and the image gallery and, you know, a user login that works on everything. And, uh, and today we've got a lot more solutions than we did back then. You know, the content management system was really just kind of um, making itself known back then. So uh, I got involved um, with Drupal as part of my capstone project um, when I was researching all of the content management systems that were out there. And that included, um, you know, the popular ones at the time, which were Mambo, uh, Drupal. Uh, I actually even included, let's see, that Python uh, CMS. I, uh, the name is eluding me at the moment. <laughs> um, anyway, I looked at a, a bunch of CMSs and uh, I, I decided on Drupal as being kind of the winner um, and then from then on out, I started interacting with the Drupal community and then, um, I've been doing it ever since that's been eight years now, almost, almost nine, actually, I've been in the Drupal project for a really long time. Wow. You sure have. Were you talking about, uh, Django? Um, no, no, that was before Django actually, <laughs> but that would, that would have been a good candidate, uh, had it existed at the time. Did you did you start off with Drupal thinking about I was looking for an open source project or did you were you just looking for what you thought was the best CMS? Yeah, back then, you know, open source really hadn't hadn't captivated me like it like it has now. Um back then I didn't really care about open source, I just cared about cheap. Um I just wanted something that that didn't have a license cost um that I could research um, you know, as, as part of a college project, I didn't have any real money at the time. So it was just a way of, um, yeah, getting into software and being able to understand it without needing to pay any upfront costs. And it just so happened that, of course, a lot of the free software, maybe even most free software that we have today happens to be open source. Do you have a preference for the terms uh, free software versus open source software, which to some people I should mention, you know, those are very distinct terms because open source software was created in response to free software as a more business friendly term. Do you do you have any particular affiliation? You used both those terms, I think, in your last answer. <laughs> yeah. Uh... Yeah, because uh, at the time I was really concerned with free and I didn't understand what open source even meant. Um, my my personal preferences these days, I really um, can use either of them, but I, I probably use them based more on what I'm talking about. If I'm if I'm if I'm talking about, you know, uh, and some open source advocates will, will cringe at this. If I'm talking about somebody who's concerned about finances, I use the word free, even though I know that free software originally was not, it was not free as in cost. It's, you know, free as in, uh, free as in freedom or free as in beer as, you know, that whole business that it's really about like the liberty of the software, not the cost of the software. But I can totally understand why people get so confused about these terms. And that's why they, they often, use open source because that has at least a little bit more of a, a clear meeting. And then uh, the unfortunate spinoff these days of, of Libre, uh, <laughs> which <laughs> I find just is muddying the waters even more. Uh, although when, when I read the explanation of it, I was like, oh, okay, that kind of makes sense because Libre really literally means like freedom and liberty rather than um, no cost. So I can see why, why that idea is appealing, but really 
I, I mix them pretty frequently, but most commonly I, I go with open source because I feel like that that says, I mean, to me, that's the primary importance these days. Like, sure, if I want to talk to somebody that uh, is interested in licensing costs, like I can say it's open source and it's free. And I talk about free as the financial cost. Um, so I probably avoid free software most of the time because of just how uh, how confusing that term is. <laughs> sure. And that's the very thinking behind introducing this new term, open source, which I knew in, as a new in 1998. <laughs> so anyway, I think that has some bearing then on what we're talking about today in terms of the fork of Drupal. And just so everyone that's listening to the show, which might even include my mother, could you just talk about how you would describe a fork without using the words cutlery or kitchenware? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. It it really is um, the name for anything where, you know, something that used to be one has, has split into two or, or more than two even, um, you know, a fork in the road. You know, it's just a, a place where, you know, you're in a wood and the road divided. Uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> but, yeah, you know, I meant in terms of what that is in in free software oh, yeah, or open yeah. source. I was I was just using that as the basis for for exp explanation. Gotcha. Okay, so so with software, forked software is when um, a single project that has been in existence for some period of time, like a splinter group, might form of of individuals who have a different philosophy or a different approach that they would like to apply to the software and it doesn't agree with uh, everybody else in the existing community. However, one of the most fundamental uh, rights of open source software is is the right to fork that um, you can take the software and do anything you want with it, including taking it and starting a different project or taking that project in a completely different direction than the direction it had been going previously. So it, this happens a lot when there's like a um, kind of shared goals within a community. But after going on for a long enough period of time or um, enough changes have happened in the project um, or the community is even just large enough, it's possible that uh, a subset might find that their goals are not actually aligned with the larger project and that they can take the same foundation that, that has the portions that they're concerned about and then move it into a different project. And now you have two projects, which start off very similar, of course, because they they are literally the same code underneath, but potentially have different philosophies and different directions. And as time goes on, those two projects can diverge more drastically. And, and you can see that perhaps now they're actually solutions to different problems, even that they started out the same, but now... Um, they're different. I mean, and that, maybe that's a little bit more. That's that might be extreme because for a long time they're really going to serve the same purposes. I mean, like a a lot of forks out there, they're really always kind of solving the same base problem, but you know, with different nuances and different approaches. So, when you think about why you forked Drupal, would you say that that is more philosophical, like you mentioned, or is it? also technical or commercial or some sort of combination of those? Mm. 
it's really yeah it, it's a combination of all of those things the the real instigator with this fork and probably many other forks um was that it was it was actually largely technical and i say in my i said in my explanation that um you know sometimes um people want to change the software that's the reason for the fork that the current version isn't doing what they want and then they they say we can make this better if we if we change more frequently or we change change more in the case of drupal the primary instigator actually was that Drupal itself was changing too much all at once. And from our perspective, we were really concerned about all of the existing Drupal sites that are out there, that moving to Drupal 8 is is a it's a real jump because it, it's a technically it's been really, really refactored um, to the point that you might even call it a different piece of software. The the code overlap between the two of them is real minimal. However, the features that they deliver are actually pretty much exactly the same. And what we're doing with, with Backdrop actually is taking Drupal 7's base architecture and continuing support and development for it um, and making it so that everybody that's out there that has Drupal 7 sites, of course, ourselves included, we can move those to to backdrop and continue maintaining them in a way that we can basically sell our clients because going to to a client right now and saying you've just spent you know i don't know it can really range from from thousands of dollars to to hundreds or millions of dollars on a drupal 7 platform but when it comes to drupal 8 you have to actually basically rebuild the entire site and then do a migration between your Drupal 7 site and, and your Drupal 8 site. It's really that different that there's no way you can, there's no way you can really just like upgrade. It's it's literally rebuild and then migrate. So I, I'm totally getting off, off, off course here, but technical or philosophical started technical. But then when we actually sat down and said, why, why have we done this? Because we just did it basically at the start because we were just we were just really concerned about the future of Drupal 8 and the future of our clients and how how we were going to be able to make this affordable to people. And so technically we understood that there was going to be an enormous cost, but then after a little while we thought wait a minute, that idea, that exact idea that technically there's going to be a high amount of cost to this new piece of software that turned into exactly what part of our philosophy is now is that making websites affordably is a part of our philosophy. And we didn't realize that when we started out, but when we look back at why we did it in the first place, we realized that we, we had a, a philosophy that was actually quite different from Drupal's that backwards compatibility, maintenance, upgrades, those sorts of things are really important to us as a new small community. And historically, compatibility is, has been explicitly one of the things that Drupal has avoided for, for other reasons that they want to iterate quickly and, and move fast. And, you know, we want those things too, to a certain extent, but compatibility is, is really important to us. So we, we started forming a philosophy now. So it's really hard for us to say which one is more important because now they're they're both really important to us. The philosophy is what's going to take us forward, even if technically it was a, a technical decision that that instigated the fork in the first place. So Drupal comes with the GNU public license, the GPL, mm -hmm. which is probably the most 
widely used license, the open source license. And it's known as a copyleft license, which requires people to contribute code back if they make changes. Do you think that you would have chosen the GPL for backdrop if this wasn't a fork? Or is it just too tough to, I guess, imagine what it would be like starting something like this from scratch? Do you like that Drupal is a GPL? Yeah. So so one thing that, um, that I'll point out right away is that we don't really have the choice of changing the license on on Drupal or on on our fork backdrop, um, it's basically it's it's GPL forever because it, it would be impossible for us to go back and get approval from every person who had ever written code for Drupal to say we'd like to change the license, which has happened in the past for some other projects. They they started on one library, realized they made a, or one license, uh, realized they made a mistake, and then went back to like dozens or even hundreds of, of contributors and got approval to change the license to something usually less restrictive to like MIT, which is basically the do whatever the hell you want with it license. <laughs> Although I think um, there is a license that is like that, but more vulgar. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. There is that, that license. Uh, I can't remember what it's called. It's literally, it's like, it's got an acronym, do whatever the hell you want with it. Yes. Uh, license. But it's not, well, it's even more vulgar. Yes. <laughs> not suitable. We'll keep this kid friendly. <laughs> um, so anyway, but would I, would I use a different license? You know, I'm not really sure if I would actually use a different license. Am I happy with Drupal being GPL? I, I am happy with it because I actually really, I like the, the, we're going to use the word philosophy a lot, but I like the philosophy of, of the, the GNU public license. I like, even even though business people don't like it and a lot of products don't like it, I really like the infectious nature of it. The impact that GPL software had on just the world of software in general is really, it's it's hard to overstate like how important it was because as it just, as people started adopting like small individual pieces of software, then built on top of them, those pieces of software also became GPL. And then people started building on top of those and those became GPL. And it just kept happening that now we're at the, the level where the end user software that people are actually interacting with, like normal, non-technical users, they're interacting directly with GPL software. And it started at a very low level. And the uh, infectious nature of, of GPL eventually bubbled that all the way up to software that we use and depend on every day. And ha- had it not been for that infectious nature, I'm not sure that open source software ever would have gotten to the point that it is today. But now it's like now open source software is is taken as such a uh, a for granted part of our lives that I feel like people feel like licensing isn't isn't terribly important anymore. And that um, using extremely liberal licenses like like the MIT license is just like kind of like the, you know, we don't care because we we take this thing for granted now. It wasn't it wasn't always so clear, I don't think. And, and now I'm I'm really happy with the pervasiveness of open source software. So I, I would say, even though it's hard for me to say whether or not I would choose GPL today, but I'm not at all upset about having that as as part of our history. You won't get any disagreements from me on how awesome it is to have GPL versus some of these more permissive licenses, especially for the reasons you mentioned. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 just so powerful, and people give it a hard time because it's hard to understand, and the infectious nature of it can be difficult to understand as as well. That um, uh, 
you know, like <laughs> some people get really confused or like I'm using GPL software. Does that mean that I like I have to turn over my source code to like somebody that visits my website? <laughs> you know, sometimes that can be that can be really confusing. Um, and no, of course, you, you don't have to do that. If somebody visits your website, you're not obligated to give them your code. It's just that if you yeah, maybe maybe getting into the explanation of GPL might be going too far. But basically, if you give your code to anybody or sell your code to anybody, they can do whatever they want with it once they have it. But as long as it's, it's yours and you don't redistribute it, then that code stays stays yours and, and you can just keep it. But as soon as you distribute that, sell it even once or give it to somebody, that person can now do whatever they want with it. And in, in some communities, like um, WordPress is a, a really fascinating environment going on right now because um, WordPress is GPL as well, another content management system, PHP driven. But um, their community is very different that um, all of a, a lot of their plugins are like pay to download, which is legal. Um, pay to download is, is completely allowed under the GPL, like de- that's delivery. But once you have a copy of a WordPress plugin that you purchased, you are an, under no obligation to keep that to yourself. You can redistribute it for no cost um, as much as you want. And that's that's one of the the rights of um, of GPL driven software that it's it's really hard to it's it's really hard to keep it under control. Like once you've sold it, you know people can do whatever they want with it. And so and that's that's why we have so much of it because it's really hard to stop. It's really hard to stop the freedom of of GPL software. Right. And I know licensing can be kind of one of these geeky topics, but and I'm hesitant to even mention this, but you could take your GPL license Drupal or backdrop and, and I think you can add the AGPL license, which does require you to share your source code when someone goes to visit your website. Like that was part of the reason that came about. But that's, I think, one of the more extreme copyleft positions. And well, we don't need to go down that road, but I'll just throw <laughs> that out. I'm, I'm going to look into that. I have, I had not even heard of that. Um, so that's, that's really fascinating. Okay. Yeah. Wow. The Free Software Foundation considered putting that into GPL version two. They ended up not including that with GPL three, but Drupal is GPL or version two or three, just mm-hmm. for those people keeping track at home. Getting away from this licensing discussion, you do have some philosophical differences in terms of how you want to communicate goals for backdrop. You want to say a little bit how about how you've set up the structure in terms of how something like, ooh, should we consider changing the license would get discussed in the mm. backdrop community? Yeah, totally. So one of the first things we did when we uh, forked the project, actually, I mean, sure, we dove in and started changing things we'd always wanted to change. And that was that was fun and liberating and, and all of that. But, <laughs> uh, you know, we, we realized really quickly we needed a way to manage and structure this project. You know, who makes decisions and what decisions should they make? Like, where are we going? And so we wrote up um, immediately kind of the actually, you know, I guess we came up with leadership structure even before we established philosophy because we kind of needed a way to <laughs> probably one of the most important things you, you can do in anything is, is decide who's responsible for, for things, you know, like who's, who's doing this thing anyway. 
And we we looked at a lot of other structures that were out there. Of course, Drupal structure itself, which is um, its leadership structure is very flat, like there's hardly any organized structure at all to it. But the one thing that is for certain is that there is one ultimate source of authority in the Drupal world, and that's um, the founder, Dries Boitart. So in that case, and in many other open source projects like um, the Linux kernel or um, WordPress, Matt Mullenweg, you know, that this this leadership structure is called like the BDFL or benevolent dictator for life that the founder of the project essentially has the ultimate authority in the project for now and and kind of all time. And what we did when we started um, Backdrop is that we, well, <laughs> there's kind of like some hesitance in, in, in myself for like saying like I want to be like a, a BDFL because I really don't like this was out of a, a need that is like I am so worried about the future of Drupal that I have, I feel like the only way in order to preserve what I have is to is to actually fork the project becoming a BDFL or or taking on that responsibility is not actually something that I was I'm, I'm very keen on and so um, we structured the project in a way that uh, we wanted to be able to resolve conflict and we wanted to be able to manage authority and make decisions without without a single point of authority or a single source of failure, really. And so we adopted the model that Apache has been using with great success for a really long time called the Project Management Committee or the PMC, where essentially there's a, a group of uh, of people. Right now, it's just two, I'll say, um, myself and, and Jen Lampton. But it's a it's a group of people that are responsible for um, deciding the direction of the project um, and probably most importantly is responsible for conflict resolution when when problems arise and you just get completely stuck or you're not really sure if something is, is appropriate or not, um, then the PMC handles conflict resolution. And it's great because it's like a, a voting structure. You can have people that are absent, although, you know, quorum and things like that can potentially still be required. But it, it's a little bit more of a communal way of, of managing things. It doesn't necessarily need to be terribly slow as long as um, as long as your group is small enough and you have deadlines and, and things like that. But it's a way for your project to like outlive your original founder. And it's also a really great way of democratizing your project that you can have anybody potentially become like a, a steering force in your in your overall project. Well, one thing you said that that interests me is like you mentioned Linus Torvalds, and we all kind of know that he's the leader of Linux. And there are other projects where it might be more difficult for us to think of of somebody that fits that bill. For example, maybe the BSD project. I mean, how many of us know who's the leader of the BSD projects? There are a lot of open source projects that are successful because they have a credible leader, somebody that the community trusts, that they know is going to help keep the project together. And I guess I'm just curious, and I'll, I'll ask you the hard question too, do you feel like you're ready to take on that role, even knowing that you've set up this separate mechanism for conflict resolution? Do you feel like you're ready to be the trusted leader for the backdrop project? <laughs> well, I'll, I'll immediately say that um, I won't I won't uh, take that crown by myself anyway because I really did it in in partnership with 
co-founder Jen Lampton. So between us, you know, who's really the founder, um, we wouldn't say, or who's the leader, we wouldn't say either of us is 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 the leader. But I think it's fine that you can say there's there's two of us and we're the founders, and that we can share that responsibility. I think that that'll be quite palatable to people. That sounds good to me. <laughs> but as for the 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 management or the responsibility for any project that gets gets large enough, you know, there, there's really going to be, I mean, you have to make a commitment to it and, and it's going to be probably a part of my life for a long time. So the only thing that gives me any confidence about that is knowing that I've already kind of been the manager of a large open source project for a really long time already. And I'm, I'm not talking about Drupal, I'm talking about a, a, a module for Drupal called Webform. And even though Drupal itself is Drupal itself is very very popular, it has over a million registered installs. Some of those may be like local development environments or things like that. But of those million Drupal websites, more than four hundred thousand of them run Webform. So already, more than a third of the websites that are out there that are on Drupal and Drupal's, a, I mean, it's a success. I mean, a million or more websites that that run it. That's a, I mean, that's a, a really great. I mean, it's a huge number. Yeah. <laughs> so many people have been helped. It's just been been amazing. But of those, um, you know, one third of them run um, a piece of software that I essentially have have written and maintained for, you know, eight or nine years. And so I really have the sense for, you know, this is something that you got to keep on top of. You have to maintain it. You have to be responsive, you know, constantly maintaining, updating, keeping up with the times. And so I feel like I've got at least that that reputation established already and I know that I can do that because I already have. And if Backdrop itself gets to say four hundred thousand stalls like like my web form project, you know, I that's gonna be it's gonna be a success in my mind. Sure. <laughs> Undoubtedly. Sure. <laughs> How do you help rally indecisive programmers or help get them interested in your project? Yeah, so one of the things that has been difficult with um, with our fork is that there really wasn't um, – it was kind of an arbitrary point in the Drupal 8 cycle where we basically said we had enough, um, where we, we looked at where Drupal 8 was heading, and it was clear that it was not a direction that we were happy with. But it wasn't actually complete yet. Like, you know, Drupal 8 hasn't been released. This was over a year ago. Drupal 8 might not be released for a, a period of time yet. And so it was really at an arbitrary time that we just said, we don't like Drupal 8. And for a lot of people, it's been a hard sell trying to tell them why we don't like Drupal 8, because um, a lot of them aren't involved in the day-to-day -day development of it. And they don't really understand exactly like what's different about it or, or what the big rub is. And it wasn't like a, you know, it wasn't like a, a an Oracle and Sun Microsystems kind of system or situation where it's like Oracle bought Sun and now suddenly Oracle, who obviously has Oracle database, now was suddenly the owner of MySQL. And that like spurred like immediate action that it's like we need to figure out a home for MySQL. And now we have a, a variety of options available. We've got um, MySQL itself is still open and free, which is amazing and, and great. And it's actually much better than I think anybody had foreseen at the time. Um, but then we also have Percona and we have MariaDB. And basically, we have a, this amazing, healthy ecosystem around MySQL. But when that actually happened, nobody was <laughs> sure what was 
you know, this the future was very uncertain. So so we don't have one of those moments where it's like this is you know, this is it now. So we have to sell people on on why we're doing this in the first place. And so it's been a much more of a slow, like snowball kind of effect with us rather than a you know, a sudden avalanche. <laughs> sure. And, and there's other projects that fall in that category too, such as uh, Open Office was an Oracle project and that spawned LibreOffice and Hudson. There were concerns with Oracle and that spawned uh, Jenkins. So there, there are other projects where there are more of, I guess, a technical dispute like Debian. And, and for those that aren't following this type of news, there's Debian is one of the it's one of the oldest and biggest free software projects, uh, a Linux distribution that was recently forked to something called Dev One, and that was over technical concerns. Mm. So this dispute over System D and how the computer boots up, and and then it gets into other other issues for all the dependencies and all kinds of other technical things that I don't want to get into, <laughs> but. But it sounds like, to some extent, your project is reminds me a little bit of the Debian fork, even though yours came way before. In that, it's it is more of it sounds like it's a technical dispute, or it's a it you you want you want the project to go down this similar path because, like in Debian, those developers that fork Debian wanted to continue to use the same the init system rather than switch to something new, this newfangled System D thing that was new and cool. So, do you, I mean, do you do you feel there's any similarities between those projects or between that fork and yours? Or have you been following that news? No, I, I haven't been. Well, I've I've heard of it, but I haven't been following it real in depth. And this is one of those things where it's like, man, just hearing you say it, it's like if people think that that's the same reason for backdrop that it's like so nuanced. I mean, from the outside perspective, I'm sure if you're in the thick of it, it it can mean the world, you know. But, um. If people are looking at, at Backdrop and, and Drupal and they have the same feeling that it's like, wow, this is just completely nuanced. I'm just going to stick with the winner, you know, the, the the big one that's already established, then then we're going to have a real hard time <laughs> uh, convincing people to, to adopt Backdrop. You're saying if you're competing the same level as those developers are competing with Debian? Yeah. Yeah, it, it's really it's an it's an uphill battle when you're when you're that nuanced with the reason for your your fork. Oh sure, over that technical, I'm following you now. Yeah, yeah, and and maybe the I mean maybe there's a lot more, but really the extent of my knowledge is pretty much what you just said. So that's that's how I see it from from an outside perspective. With with backdrop, I think that we can really make a a, a better sale for it though than it's just purely technical because when Drupal eight starts getting adopted and and that might be a year or even two years from now um, after contributed modules get get upgraded i think people are really going to feel something tangible about Drupal 8 and that for me this is this is conjecturing at this point because we don't know what the future will hold but the the pure financial cost of Drupal 8 will make itself known and i think with our message and our our efforts to provide a continuous path from Drupal 7, the affordability issue really will come into play here. Even though Drupal and Backdrop, they're, they're free software and that you don't, <laughs> they're software that is free and that you don't need to pay for them. There's no licensing costs. But 
there's a real cost uh, involved in getting it implemented and customizing it. And almost all Drupal sites that are out there have written some amount of of modified code or or customizations that uh, they're going to need to rewrite for Drupal 8. And once there's been sort of a, a threshold of sites that have upgraded to Drupal 8, they'll kind of figure out whether or not this is like a very expensive proposition or whether or not like the tools that they create will actually make it financially manageable. So I, I think if nothing else, like just the bare cost of, of Drupal 8 will be a differentiator for us that, that will be significant, that people will understand. It's interesting to me that you 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 continue to basically present Backdrop as 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 different from Drupal 8 and use that primarily as why why somebody would want to use that it seems like it's a commercial choice that it is less less work to go from Drupal 7 to backdrop in your estimation and nobody would know better than you <laughs> to go from Drupal 7 to backdrop versus Drupal 7 to Drupal 8 but it does feel like you've thought about this in terms of lots of other reasons than these primarily technical ones. And yet it sounds like that's sort of the big motivating factor. I mean, is that characterization correct? Yeah. Yeah. And it's actually, yeah, I would say that that's, that's correct. If you did dig a little bit more deeply into some of the, the details of our, of our project philosophy, we've also done um, a couple other things to differentiate. Drupal has never established who it's for, its actual audience. Um, actually, even some of the Drupal 8 marketing materials I've seen floating around just say things like Drupal 8 is for everyone and something everyone can enjoy and things like that. Um, and it continues to kind of say that Drupal is a product that that can do anything um, and fits all audiences. But I don't feel like that, that's actually the case today. Like I feel like Drupal is continuously moving in a high-end or enterprise direction and that we're one of the things that we've done with, with Backdrop is immediately, not immediately, but we established who it is that we're building this for. That Drupal is is a tool or Backdrop, you know, coming from the similar roots, that, that really pretty much the primary audience here is, is site builders, people who build sites, you know, slightly technical people. And that the kind of website that we're trying to build is is primarily for like nonprofits and education and small medium businesses basically and what all of those things have in common basically is they have a limited amount of budget uh-huh. <laughs> and, and that that that's why that that uh financial cost is so important to us because our audience is, is defined as these people are essentially not enterprise and of course with any product i like to use wordpress again as an example WordPress is WordPress is a great audience declaration too. That they say that their audience is is writers, is people who want to publish their content, and that's their primary audience. However, I mean, you can use I mean, writers kind of exist everywhere, and WordPress traditionally has been kind of you know small single user blogging sites. But you see WordPress used in the entire spectrum from the smallest sites, although WordPress is predominantly small sites. You get WordPress used on, on the largest, most complicated sites you can imagine as well. And it's the same thing with Drupal where it's the opposite, where it's really kind of its niche is, is the high-end enterprise websites, but you can also get it on on the low-end sites. And what we're trying to do is um, kind of be a spot in the middle where it's it's a product for 
for building a, re a really flexible website, but not necessarily making all of the flexibility decisions that, that Drupal 8 has done to make it really into like the ultimate business tool where you can swap out like literally everything, but almost nobody other than these large companies actually does swap out large components of the system in the first place. In the case of a small website, almost certainly you're just going to be running on the vanilla out-of-the-box experience. So we're kind of splitting the difference there where we're maintaining compatibility and, and making performance gains where we can for the for the decisions that most of the time people are going to leave the defaults anyway, and then maintaining some of the flexibility of, uh, of Drupal 8 where it's like if you need this change to be uh, if you need this functionality to be swappable or, or different, then you, you still have that ability in Backdrop. So I was doing some research before this, and I looked up this study from the Journal of Systems and Software. They had an article about OpenOffice, which was, or actually it was about LibreOffice, which is a fork of OpenOffice. And the authors found... And I'll quote here that LibreOffice has attracted the long-term and most active committers in the OpenOffice.org project and has thereby demonstrated that successful transfer and evolution of know-how and fork practices can be achieved beyond individual open-source software projects. So do you think that Backdrop has the same kind of potential to attract the most active committers from Drupal? Is that another reason that somebody might want to switch from using Drupal to Backdrop? Or is that a reason why somebody might want to use Backdrop? LibreOffice is a real fascinating example because literally it's kind of like the majority of people actually jumped ship and, and got on the new ship, if you will. With with Drupal, that's or with Backdrop, that's really unlikely, at least in terms of who we think of as the most active project committers today. Because the most odd, uh, active project committers are the ones that are steering Drupal in the first place and have made Drupal 8 exactly what it is today. And so those people are basically the ones that are continuing to to make all of the changes and take Drupal in the direction that they want. And our stance on things is actually that by making those changes, we're, we're actually harming some subset of our of our users. And so it's unlikely that that um, we'd get the most active contributors from Drupal because they're already making Drupal into exactly what they want. So so I don't think that that's, that's likely to happen in our case. However, Drupal has had a kind of a long history of alienating a lot of its most most active developers. We'll call them previously most active developers. And there's a, a good number of, of those people that basically Drupal has moved to a certain point where they just kind of dropped off like over a long period of time. Um, the people who were the most active contributors today, very few of them were the most active contributors even three or four years ago. And so there is a potential that we will collect a lot of the people who may have jumped ship a while ago or who <clears throat> who left because they, they realized that Drupal was turning into you know, something that didn't fit their needs really adequately even back then. So potentially we could still recruit a lot of people who... Um, who are really passionate about the software and share a lot of our goals who might not be a part of the Drupal platform in the first place. And and also, I mean, there's still, this is core developers, but really the battle, <laughs> battle, <laughs> I don't really like to think of it in that way, but 
we'll see what the outcome will be um, of the minds of contributed module developers, which is really the bulk of the Drupal community. It's not core developers, but people who build on top of the, the base platform. And as of right now, there's very few modules that have been converted to to Drupal 8. There's, oh gosh, there's tens of thousands of contributed modules out there and probably hundreds of thousands of custom ones. And all of the people that have written all of that code, which is exponentially more than, than Drupal core itself, they haven't really made a decision yet. They haven't even realized that there's a decision to be made yet. So we don't know what will happen when uh, contributed and custom module developers look at Drupal 8 and evaluate, you know, what should they should do with their, their existing website. So there's still a chance, actually a really good chance, or we'll see as the... Uh, as Backdrop is released and, and Drupal 8 is released, when people make that decision, how many people start choosing Backdrop as as a viable solution? There certainly are a lot of people that contribute to Drupal, that's for sure. I know there's also a lot of other projects where there's a large code base and then they have, say, 10 to 15 people that make 80% of the contributions. And I think some of the Apache projects or Firefox are examples of those. And I guess I was curious what you thought Backdrop might look like. Are you hoping that there will be, you know, a small group of people making a lot of the changes? Or do you think you would like to attract a whole lot of people making lots of small changes or something else, maybe? <laughs> well, both both of those are, I mean, both approaches are, are super valuable because you need you need a small group of people that are actually that that understand the system and understand the repercussions of making some particular change. Um, people that come in the fly by night and like submit one pull request or one patch and then leave. Those people are also invaluable just because there's so many of them. <laughs> but but um, but there's only so much that those people can do. Usually what they'll do is they'll come in and they'll fix a bug um, or something that bothers them. And they'll just come in and fix that one thing. And then their problem is solved and then, then they're done. So they fit a, a really important role that um, they're people that scratch their own itches. That when they have a problem, they immediately they just go out and fix it. And then that's something that... Um, it takes a lot of when you have a, a large software project, there can potentially be thousands of bugs and a lot of them are just small or inconsequential to most people, but they're not inconsequential to that person and they came in and, and did something about it. So those people are, are really valuable um, to any project that, that they exist and that they can contribute easily and quickly to the project without a lot of barrier, which is why GitHub is su such an amazing tool. Because it enables that if you contribute to one project, you could contribute to tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of other projects that are out there. That's another difference, it seems, between Backdrop and Drupal.org is that Backdrop code lives in the place where most developers have code if they're working on open source projects, whereas not all developers have code on Drupal.org. Mm -hmm. Yeah, lowering the barrier is something that's really important for backdrop because we're starting a community without we don't have the tool we don't have the infrastructure of of drupal.org and if we were to start a new drupal.org today people would think that we were just insane like nobody is required to sign up for one particular site not even like a a reusable tool not like a, a bitbucket you know it would be another great example or a, a jira account or something like that where they might already have an account for this like 
going in and creating an account just to submit code seems like it's pretty much it's craziness. Um, and a lot of people would be turned off from that immediately. And I mean, Drupal's already amassed a huge number of users on, on Drupal.org and it's, it's really a, a, a pillar of the entire community. So I don't think that they should abandon that, that infrastructure, but we don't have that infrastructure. Uh, and, and really there's some real advantages to be had to using something like GitHub where everybody's already, every got, everybody's already got an account and the, the barrier for people to contribute code is, is extremely low because they're already familiar with the tools. So you've been on GitHub over a year, and we have this phrase in the free software community that given enough eyeballs, all bugs are shallow. <laughs> do, you, do you feel like you have enough eyeballs reviewing your code? We're getting there. It's really been like now that uh, we're, we're nearing release, um, maybe even by the time this podcast is released. <laughs> um, but we're we're having a, a preview release actually this week. So I know that no matter what, um, we will have a, uh, a release of Backdrop that's out there. Now that it's it's real, um, a lot more people are, are getting interested. Um, and actually, it's it's been picking up really substantially over the last couple of months Um now that we've got some major conversions and some real differentiators, a lot of people have been been picking up Backdrop and, and started actively using and developing on it. Uh, total, though, we probably had, I don't know, I think maybe 60 contributors and, uh, that people that have installed it and checked it out, which is a pretty small number overall. We, I mean, we really would obviously like hundreds and thousands uh, of people. But for now, um, we're taking some uh, solace in the fact that we're so similar to Drupal 7 that we're actually still benefiting tremendously from the larger Drupal community. And so we regularly, every time a new release of, of Drupal comes out, we cross-port everything from Drupal 7 into Backdrop. So we're still getting all of the fixes that are happening in the larger Drupal community because, again, we're really similar to, to Drupal 7. So we, for now, can leverage the larger Drupal community to to make it so that our product receives those benefits as, as well. And I think for some period of time, as long as as long as Drupal 7 is alive and thriving, we'll continue to benefit from that in in the world of backdrop. Do you feel more optimistic or less optimistic since you started backdrop? <laughs> I'm feel, I'm extremely optimistic at this point. I am just just thrilled with the the product that we've created, the um the value that it provides, the functionality it provides, the direction that we're heading. I mean, it's probably this way for for some other Drupal developers as well, but for a long time it feels like we've just been fighting a losing battle where it's like the complexity just keeps growing and Maybe in some cases, you know, the product keeps getting slower. And as a um, somebody that that taught uh, classes in Drupal uh, and has done a fair amount of training in Drupal, um, and who works as a consultant as their day day job, in, information and knowledge transfer is something that that it's just like my primary line of business is is educating people on on how to use these tools. And I I was just finding it like it. The, the number of things you need to know, the, the barriers and the, the minimum requirements for, for using these tools are, is already so great. I just couldn't bring myself to, 
try and explain these things. Like when you when you're doing explanations and you're finding yourself doing more excuses, like you're apologizing a lot for the way things are and you say, I don't know why they did it that way or well, they did it this way for a really complicated reason, but it would take me half an hour to explain it to you. So you're just going to have to accept that that's the way it is. I hate those discussions. And it just seemed like I was I was doing them just more and more. And at least now uh, we have the opportunities to simplify it and go backwards and go back through all of those things that we we're apologizing for and simplify them and reduce those barriers and make it so that the software is is more approachable to people that might just be getting started with it. We'd really like to encourage new users to come in who maybe potentially, you know, Drupal was um, already, I mean, it's it's a big piece of software, but I think we can do a lot to reduce the complexity and make it more friendly to, to new developers. So what does success look like for Backdrop? <laughs> so, so my credentials for success are really pretty plain. That this is, this is a project, um, for me that that is a fulfillment that it makes it so that I can I can do what I love I can develop websites easily and quickly with with a tool that you know is is really powerful and flexible and hopefully continues to be easy to to pick up and learn so for me it's really making this product viable enough that that I'll be able to continue using it for for my livelihood, and I'll I will I will love what I'm doing, <laughs> and I want other people to love what they're doing too. I don't want them to be you know kicking their you know screens or smashing their keyboards when they have to potentially migrate their their code. I really want them to be able to say you know hey, I like what I do. <laughs> I want I want that to be a part of my everyday life is to be enjoying what it is that I'm doing. And I love programming and I love making software, but, <laughs> you know, everybody has their own different way of, of going about it. So I really want, um, I just want to be, you know, I, I want to find fulfillment in software and in my, in my day-to-day work. And if I can get that uh, out of backdrop and hopefully, you know, a lot of other people can, can share that experience, then, then that is success. Yeah. Those are bold goals. <laughs> Drupal's, Drupal's complex being a Drupal developer myself. You know, I, I have these same, these same daily struggles and certainly I find appealing this idea of taking, taking the stuff that we can do now and simplifying that process and, still being able to do all of those things that we want to do with the software. Yeah. And I, I think the, the audience question is, is what's so important about this, that it's, you know, it's different strokes for different folks <laughs> that we have different needs for different products or different, different audiences. And that's choosing an audience and, and then driving towards it enables all kinds of things. Um, it can enable simplification and it can enable, you know, deciding whether or not um, something is, is appropriate for a project, going back and, and always looking at where you're heading and making sure that you continue trying to head in, in, in that same direction. And, and hopefully letting other people know that too. Um, because one of the things that can be, um, well, I, I really don't want to saying things rough about Drupal, but <laughs> um, when you evaluate any project, people don't do this, um, but when you evaluate a project, you really should 
not evaluate what it is, but what it will become, <laughs> you know, like what the goals of that project really are. Um, because if you invest in something um, that you think is is what you want, because it does what you're concerned about today, but then you're on that platform and you invest in it for a number of years and um, you realize that what you've built on is no longer what that product supports or what that project is intended for, it can really cause some cause some strife. And so it's it's a really great thing to evaluate a project and say, is this something that that is actually compatible with with what I believe? And it's important that that project actually says what they believe and and tells you where they're heading because because otherwise there's just all kinds of potential for for problems that you know you you get invested in it and then you find out that that it really wasn't the right tool in the first place. Do you think there's a time when you might just start talking about Backdrop without talking about it in comparison to Drupal? Or do you think that it's always going to sort of have this close connection? Drupal does this and Backdrop will do this. And that's probably how you envision talking about it for a long time. Right. Yeah, it's it's going to diverge pretty significantly. Once, once Drupal 8 becomes the popular Drupal system that is out there, comparing it to Backdrop will be... It, I mean, eventually it'll it'll kind of become these are just two different systems. Really, as far as backdrop referring to Drupal right now, it's it's really important to us because that's where a large chunk of the audience that we hope to serve is. You know, it's people that have Drupal 7 websites who want to move to a platform affordably. That's what we're trying to do. You know, that that is our, our audience right now. And so we're trying really hard to serve those people. And so we talk a lot about Drupal because it's really triple seven <laughs> it's triple seven with benefits basically and so right now we talk about Drupal a lot but in the in the future it's just not going to make any sense anymore it's it's one of the reasons why when we forked the project there unfortunately was a, a huge number of references to the word Drupal throughout all of the code <laughs> and we had this long discussion about like well we need to maintain compatibility and we can't just rename functions all over the place and say that we're going to maintain compatibility um, you know we can't remove the word Drupal so maybe we could just leave the word Drupal in the code and it would be kind of like you know like a Mozilla like that's the actual code name you know, inside of the Firefox code, I'm sure Firefox is not mentioned very frequently, but Mozilla is probably all over the place. And that's just like the code name for the project. We were thinking about, well, maybe that would just be, you know, our Mozilla that we would refer to ourselves as Drupal internally, but externally we'd be backdrop. But that was a really, <laughs> we realized that was going to be really problematic when, when Drupal is another product that is out there that is actively being developed and is absolutely nothing like backdrop uh, like you know four years from now when um drupal 7 might be you know a thing of the past drupal 9 might be underway and there's just no similarity between what is drupal in the future to what is backdrop in the future so we realized we we couldn't keep the name the same we had to change it and, <laughs> and so that 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 just made a whole a whole little um small little bucket of, of problems but now i mean we've, we've got the the new name backdrop and we keep it throughout all of the code now everything is 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 backdrop namespaced we have a wrapper around stuff for compatibility that you can turn off it's on on by default um, so it's really easy to get a drupal module working on on backdrop right now 
But in the future, yeah, we really need to identify ourselves as as something else um, because we have we have different goals, even if our base product is similar. We have we have different goals and we uh, really we're just an entirely different piece of software or we will be in, in the future. And we don't have to do anything to, to be an entirely different piece of software. Drupal itself will, will change enough that, I mean, it's already an entirely different piece of software itself. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with you on that one. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have any closing words that you'd like to share? Anything that we didn't cover you'd like to discuss? Yeah, no, I, I've just really enjoyed chatting. Um, I'm really... I. I would say that again. I'm just so thrilled with with what we've done and the and the product that we've created, and the momentum that we're we're gaining right now is is pretty substantial considering the amount of time that we've been doing this. I mean, we've been in it for a year, a little a little bit over a year, and like it's just the the future holds all kinds of promise. Like I'm just really thrilled about, gosh, just relating to this to this particular podcast like the yay freedom <laughs> because because it, uh, like uh, a year ago when I when I did this I was not like in a real happy place like I was just like man I'm just so frustrated with um with software and it's really unfortunate because it's like something I'm, I'm so passionate about and something I loved so much in the past but now um you know because of because of our liberties that we have that it's like we can take this software and we can do whatever we want with it it's just a matter of you know i don't want it to just be something for me i want it to be something for for hundreds thousands of people that that are out there that might be in a similar situation and i, I just love i mean open source software is just so amazing and so powerful that we have that that at our disposal and i'm i'm, I'm really glad that we've been able to exercise on it and it's it's made me a much happier person and i really hope um that it will do that for other people as well well that's cool and i i can attest to that too because i remember at drupal camp twin cities you were in town uh 2013 uh -huh. <laughs> Te technically not that long ago and you told me about this idea of forking drupal and i thought you were crazy <laughs> <laughs> that was the initial testing grounds. That was the first time I ever said the word fork in public. <laughs> oh, really? Yep, yep. That was the first first public testing of, of, of forking the project ever. Yeah. Well, I shouldn't say crazy. I just thought, wow, that's a bold move. And to see how far you've taken that idea is is pretty amazing to me. It's pretty impressive. So thank you very much for coming on the show nate yeah thank you so much matthew this has been um a real pleasure and i'm really enjoyed this conversation and so have i thanks again nate and thank you for listening next month my guest will be bill hanel from north country public radio and the topic will be free software in public media i hope you join us Thank you for listening to this episode of Hacking Culture. You can learn more about this show and subscribe at lullabot.com slash hacking culture. Please follow at Hacking Culture and at Matthew Tift on Twitter or mtift on Microcast. You can also contact Matthew via email at hackingculture at lullabot.com. This episode is released under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 United States License. Hacking Culture is produced at Lullabot. 
The theme music is from the Open Goldberg Variations. Thank you for listening. I'm confused if we're still on the podcast or not. Yeah, me too. <laughs>